Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. In this letter that we're looking at, uh, the Second Corinthians chapter 6, where we're coming to verse 11 now, Paul is expressing some deep feelings towards the Corinthians. He's literally opening up his heart. He's being completely transparent concerning the love that he carried for them. And that can be very risky. You are completely vulnerable when you do that to being rejected. And nobody wants to be rejected, do we? But I want to remind you of who love is. As Paul is expressing his heart for the Corinthians, he's expressing God's heart. And that's the thing we got to remember when we read the scripture, that we're listening to God speak. And Paul is not doing anything more than yielding to the Spirit of God as God the Father expresses his heart for these people. And God is availing himself to these wayward Corinthians. That's the interesting thing about it. God is not put off by their rejection or their rebellion or their idolatry. He's not hiding from their accusations or their insults. They're his children. And their behavior toward him will not change that relationship. Now, the enemy tries to convince you of otherwise. But if you're a child of God, you're born into relationship with him. Your behavior cannot change that. Nothing can change that. And he has a father's heart. And he is pleading, in a sense, with them to turn their heart towards him. Love is the activity of God. At every point you've in, in this life, if you've received true love, whether through a parent or a friend, they didn't come up with that in their emotions. That was God touching you. Paul's been writing about his ministry and defending its message and purity of purpose. And in that defense, he shared with the Corinthians some of the things that he has endured for the sake of the ministry. And in light of all of Paul's suffering, we ask the question continually, what keeps this guy going? And he tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, he says that the love of Christ controls urges, impels us. So this love that he is demonstrating and putting forth to these Corinthians is actually Paul yielding to the love of Christ. Paul yielding to the love of God. It is the expression of Christ as his life. Now last week we left off at 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 10. And so turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 18. But before I begin, I'm going to remind you again of the context. And as I remind you quite often, Christians live from a different paradigm. We live life from the inside out. That's how Christians live. We don't define life by the body, even though the body is alive while we're on the earth. We define life by the union life we have with Christ. 
We are new creations. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that. And to define life by the body is to live a carnal life. And unfortunately, many Christians live carnal lives. If we live life that way, all of our relationships are carnal and dying, just as the body is dying. They're vulnerable, just as the body is vulnerable. They're temporary, just as the body is temporary. You see, that is the truth of every carnal relationship. Just look at the body, and you will see the lifespan of a carnal relationship right there. This begins with a carnal relationship between us and God. For the Christian, it begins with us relating to God strictly out of the temporal. God, I'm in trouble here. I just need you to come down and protect me. God, I need to feel your presence. God, I need you to heal my body. God, I need you to be my provision here. In every reference to God, it's all about me, isn't it? It's all about my temporal relationship with him. Why? Because I see this body as me. I'm not praying to Him in light of who I am in Christ. I'm not recognizing the blessings and the privileges I have in Christ. I'm not recognizing His love and union with me. I'm not recognizing the relationship that I have with Him spiritually. I am not seeing that context. All I see is the temporal world, what is coming against me, and the weakness of my flesh or the efforts of my flesh to be able to take care of it. I can't affect my circumstances. God, I need you to affect my circumstances. Well, what happened to all things will work together for good? Isn't he already affecting your circumstances? You see, the difference is you are not living by faith. And you see, there's a very fine line there. In order to live the Christian life and live in the reality of that life, you have to live it by faith. And we want to define it by the body, don't we? We want to define it by what we can feel. We want to define it by what we know. God says we live it by faith. So this all begins when you start knowing God according to the flesh rather than through your union with His Spirit. In this condition, your relationship with God becomes man-centered rather than Christ-centered. You become religious rather than intimate with God. And soon religion becomes ritual, and ritual becomes distorted and worldly. That's kind of the progression of things. And that's where the Corinthians were. You remember that they were saved out of pagan idolatry. And when we started in Corinthians, we went through some of the history there. But they were saved out of a pagan idolatry, the society they lived in was extremely idolatrous. There were pagan temples, pagan priests, pagan priestesses, effigies everywhere they went. It was in everything. Their holidays, their festivals, their calendars were marked in accordance to gods and goddesses, worship days. Their friends, their families, their neighbors were all involved in pagan rituals. Now think about that if you were growing up in that. In that culture... 
Your family got together on this holiday. Your family had dinner together on that holiday. Uh, you went and had a block party on this holiday. Y'all went down to the, to the local temple for the, you know, the great barbecue on this holiday. I mean, everything was worked into that idolatry. And it wasn't just there. It was in the marketplace. It was in the schools being taught. It was in the businesses. The businesses surrounded the temples. They couldn't escape that. The only way they could get away from all of that was maybe to go isolate themselves in some area, and they would have to totally isolate themselves from any contact with that society in order to avoid idolatry. Well, they couldn't do that. So here's the thing. You know, it's like the saying goes, a boat doesn't sink because it's in the water. A boat sinks because the water gets in the boat, and the water began to get in the boat. That's what happened to the Corinthians. They became carnal in their attitude towards God. They began to dump water in the boat. They began to conform themselves to the society, attending the feast, celebrating the holidays, and blending in. The Roman church... Uh, the fellowship in Rome had the same problem. Paul wrote to them in chapter 12, verse 2. He says, Do not be conformed, shaped to this world, this age, fashioned after and adapted to its external, superficial customs, but be transformed, changed by the entire renewal of your mind, by its new ideals and its new attitude, so that you may prove for yourself... In other words, you're not going to know if you're being conformed to the world. You're not going to understand what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in his sight for you. Now, that's not saying that you're going to be deceived. You are only deceived because you choose to be deceived. If I put a blindfold on and I run into these pews... You would say to me, okay, well, you need to get a better feel for where the pews are. No, you'd say, take the blindfold off, right? Then you can see where the pews are. You can walk. You're not supposed to walk around with the blindfold on. Well, that's what carnality does. It takes the new creation and it literally blindfolds the humanity in the soul, the mind, will, and emotions. And pretty soon, the world is telling us what the landscape looks like. We're blind. They're telling us how glorious it is out here for, for us. How everything is so wonderful. Hollywood. Now, those people are so successful and so beautiful. And they have their lives so together. Why, you know, they'll probably live forever. And they're so, you know, they've got everything that anybody could ever want. Not a successful marriage among them. There's not enough plastic surgery to hide that mess. And every one of them, every one of them rotting from the outside in. we got to take the blinders off. And this is what that verse is telling you. In the Corinthian fellowship, false teachers begin to arrive. Now, as I brought this up last week, here's one of the problems. When you begin to get passive in your relationship with the Lord, when it's no longer intimate, when it becomes ritualistic, when you, when you are no longer exchanging everyday a intimate relationship of, of where you are, what you're going through. If you're, no long, if you're not even walking by faith and assuming his presence and reckoning upon his life in you, if you're not doing that, then you can get a little passive. 
You can. And then one day kind of goes into the other and so forth. And, well, I'm going to church. I'm going to Bible study. And, you know, I'm reading through the Bible in a year. So I got Christianity pretty well going. And, you know, everything's going good. And, you know, I went to my men's Bible study group and so on and so forth. But in between, crickets. Nothing between me and God. Unless somebody, you know, hurts me or I find out I'm going to lose my job or I got cancer. Well, then, we're, you know, we're on the phone, man. We're going to get God involved. But this is where the enemy steps in. You're not, you're, you're being conformed. You know God according to the flesh. You're walking with him by sight, not by faith. You're not worshiping him in spirit. You're worshiping him in body. That's what's going on in the Corinthian church. So, you're vulnerable for deception. The enemy marches some false teachers in who will come up with a belief system that will allow you to live the way you've been living. Estranged from God. That's exactly what happened. False teachers arrived and they were wanting the Corinthian church. And I see if you've heard this before. The church needs to be more friendly more accepting, less distinctive, less rigid. One theologian made the comment, he said, it's very much like the modern Christianity today that seeks to blend Christianity with popular culture, wants to make Christianity be more popular, less different, more palatable, less offensive, less narrow, less exclusive. And the result of it is that true Christianity and the purity of God's world gets corrupted by compromise. One of the first things they would have to do as false teachers is discredit Paul. Because Paul still counted this church as his own. And he is praying for them, he's writing letters, and he is trying to keep the line straight for them. Well, they couldn't have that. The first thing they did was begin to try to discredit Paul's teaching. They begin to dismiss his correction and his control. And with the encouragement of these teachers, the Corinthians became a lot more tolerant of incorporating pagan culture and worship in their belief system. Interesting that these teachers taught a mixture of law and grace that would allow the Corinthians to worship and keep certain rituals, but then they had grace to go ahead and indulge whatever fleshly appetite they chose to inflict. It was a grace mix, and they continued to indulge the flesh. Now let's look at our text. Paul writes to him in verse 11, he writes, Our mouth is open to you, Corinthians. We are hiding nothing, keeping nothing back. Our heart is expanded wide for you. And remember whose heart we're talking about, remember whose love we're talking about. This is God's heart that's being expressed towards carnal believers. That's huge. Paul writes, I'm open to you. I've been transparent. Nothing is hidden. Look within and see my heart for you. You don't see rejection there. You don't see judgment. You don't see self-protection. What you see is agape love, true love. Now, Paul's wanting them to see the heart of the Father. Paul says, I'm open to you, Corinthians. By the way, he uses that word Corinthians, which is kind of unique. He doesn't address people personally uh, or a group personally except one other time when he's admonishing the Galatians. Oh, you foolish Galatians. 
But he does it this time in a, in a caring way, a personal affection, because he wants them to understand his heart for them. Paul then writes, our heart is expanded. And in the original language, it literally means enlarged. My heart is enlarged. God has made a generous space for you all in my heart. I personally hold a great love for you all. Again, this is Paul expressing the life of the vine. Look at verse 12. He says, there is no lack of room for you in our hearts, but you lack room in your own affections for us. We're not withholding any love for you. I'm letting it flow, is what he's saying. Now notice that Paul uses the plural there. And there's a lot of speculation, and, and to some degree I think it's true that, you know, he being humble in his expression. So he doesn't just say I. The other thing that, that is speculated is that he is talking about uh, his companions. Well, that doesn't really necessarily apply here. Here's what I think. Paul keeps using the term that I am expressing agape love. Do you believe that Paul is by himself expressing agape love? Is Paul capable of expressing agape love by himself? Who is agape love? The Father. I believe when Paul is referencing we, he is really talking about the union heart of himself that says, this is God's love towards you. This is God's love. This is agape love. Again, we see that when the new creation is squeezed, we talked about this last week, when the new creation is squeezed and all the circumstances are coming against him, the accusations are coming against him, the people that he loved are rejecting him, and he's being squeezed. And when the new creation is squeezed, not the flesh, but the new creation, when it is squeezed, what comes forth? Agape love. Agape love, the character of Christ, the love of God. This is not a defensive action to the rejection, to respond to attacks initiated by the enemy. And that's how it's worded oftentimes, that you'll respond to them in love, almost like you're defending yourself in love from the attack. That's not at all what's going on. You're looking at it wrongly. This is not a defensive action. It's almost like the enemy comes over to this huge dike and pokes a hole in it. And when he does, it starts with a trickle and then it begins with a rush. And then the love of God flows forth and it overcomes every barrier. It breaks down every defense. It literally floods through. Now, they can deny that they felt it. They can deny that they got it. They cannot want to receive it, but they got thoroughly saturated with it. That's the truth of every one of you. The love of God is saturating you. We can deny that we're receiving it. We can believe the enemy's lie that God is somehow withholding. God can't withhold his love. It would be withholding himself. It would be God not do it, being God. Love is not a defensive action for us. It's literally the thing that storms the gates of hell. This love comes forth like a mighty flood. Unstoppable. The love of God assaults the barriers of the enemy. And though they may deny it, they will receive it. Then Paul writes, 
but you lack room in your own affections for us. In other words, it's not barriers that we have erected that keeps you from receiving love. Paul wrote earlier to the Corinthian church in, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. He says, We have renounced disgraceful ways, secret thoughts, feelings, desires, and underhandedness, the methods and arts that men hide through shame. We refuse to deal craftily, to practice trickery and cunning, or to adulterate or handle dishonestly the word of God. But we state the truth openly, clearly, and candidly. And so we commend ourselves in the sight and presence of God to every man's conscience. We have been open and honest with you, is what he's saying. We have, a, we have been pure in our motive towards you. We have demonstrated and illustrated the unconditional love of God for you. We are not your problem. You lack room in your affections. The Greek word that's used there really means to reduce to, to a narrow place, to cramp. They had divided hearts. They had become conformed to their society. In their carnality, they'd made room in, in their affections for so much self-indulgence that they had little room to receive truth and love. And let me tell you something. Truth and love always come together. They don't travel alone. Truth and love came. Agape came. Verse 13, by way of return, do this for me. Paul says, in response, do this for me. I speak to you as children. Open wide your hearts also to us. Now, Paul is inviting them to repent. That's what's going on there. He says, you need to repent. Now, listen to this. They don't have to repent to receive God's love, do they? They don't have to repent to receive Paul's love, do they? They've already got that. But they do have to repent to receive. Now, you know what the difference is? The difference is one may get it and never accept it. The other one gets it and embraces it. That's the difference. In our relationship with God, listen to me, the only obstacle to receiving is our will. Not the enemy, not the circumstances, not the person that you have a problem with, not the marriage, not any of those things, not the condition of your body. The only obstacle to receiving the fullness and by receiving, I mean literally accepting what he's given you. The only obstacle is your will. You say, well, I don't believe that because I've said, you know, Lord, I'm ready to receive whatever you got. And I haven't felt a thing. Nothing's changed around me. Knowing God according to the flesh. Your will decides whether or not you're going to, by faith, walk in the truth that you are complete. And that God has given you everything you need in Christ Jesus. That's what your will decides. Your will determines whether you're going to live by faith or live by sight. And when you say, God, I want what you have, but I'll be looking for it. Is that by faith or by sight? Paul is inviting them to repent. Paul writes with gentleness and simplicity. And some of your translations may say recompense. The original language is describing an even or fair exchange. Now think about this. Paul is saying, I want you to exchange the love that I'm showing you for your love. 
but it has to be even and fair. Now, let me ask you a question. So what is a fair exchange for agape love? Hmm? What is a fair exchange? So do you see what Paul's inviting them to do? This is not about returning a man's affections. And I hear it preached that way. So if Christ has made me a new creation in union with his love, if I am going to express that love, I have to yield to his life, and that love will flow through my mind, will, and emotions, soul, and my body will manifest it. And guess what? In loving, I am loved. You never have a reason to go through this life unloved. Nobody can rob you of love. Because every time that you yield to the truth that you are infinitely loved and allow that love to flow through you, even to an enemy, it's not about them receiving, whether they receive or don't receive, you are experiencing God's love. Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road, and Blanco Woods, just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006.